It seems eerily apropos that this week, as Hurricane Idalia bears down on Florida's Gulf Coast, that author and creative writing professor Heather Sellers joins us to discuss her 2022 collection, Field Notes from the Flood Zone, which won first prize for poetry in the Florida Book Awards this year. It's comprised of connected poems that collectively form a narrative meditation on Florida's natural fragility and the fury that nature can unleash on its coastlines. It's also a meditation on family, belonging, and the existential anxieties provoked simply by living here. She reveals some stories behind the poems and their composition, talks about her newly published book on writing, and delves a bit into why exactly we all choose to continue living in this state in the face of so many threats, both ecological and socio-political. I'm Christopher Nick, and welcome to the Florida Book Club. I'm here with Heather Sellers, director of the MFA and undergraduate creative writing programs at the University of South Florida and author of the 2022 poetry collection Field Notes from the Flood Zone, which she will discuss with us today, as well as many other works of prose and poetry. So welcome to the clubhouse, Heather. Thanks for having me, Chris. Okay. Um, Now, collectively, the poems in Field Notes from the Flood Zone, it made me contemplate the degree to which... uh, your perception. Now, again, I'm making the error. Well, maybe it's not an error because I tell my students about this a lot. Don't conflate the speaker and the author, although, you know, I'm always tempted to do that myself. So, you know, you can always speak to that if you want. But to which your, perfe- you know, your perception of Florida's natural features, you know, its seasonal rhythms, its seascapes, its occasional fury uh, influences your state of mind living here. And I, I wonder if you could speak to your relationship with the state socially, ecologically, politically, and how that may have informed the writing of these poems. I know that's a lot to get into, <laughs> but maybe take a shot at it. Thanks, Chris. It's a great question. Um, and first of all, I see this book as a memoir in poetry. And so I'm very comfortable not using the word speaker um, it's the first person. This is my experience. I, I am her. So I wrote this book during the pandemic and I was homebound for a long time. And I was writing in these long lines and looking back at the book today to prepare for our conversation. I just see that time period. Like there's one line and then a lot of space, a lot of waiting, and then another line It feels so much like a physical representation of that time. Like all these lines are alone. They're isolated on the page. We were all alone, isolated in our houses. So the pandemic informs the space as much as Florida the place does as I look back. I love the form of these pieces. I love these lines that are long. And I think of them as like elevated Instagram posts. Like instead of using photographs, we're using words for the pixels, right? So it's a pandemic book, Chris, as much as it is a Florida book. And to the second part of your question, I lived here for 27 years. I'm from here. This landscape is part of my DNA. And whenever I'm looking at this landscape, I see what's before me, but I also see these ghosts and all these shimmering presences of what was here before when I was growing up and the people and the houses and the dreams and the losses. So that loss, all those layers of loss are always present when I'm looking at the Florida landscape. I see. And, and one of the things I, I, I found, I, I mean, I appreciated this is there's there's no mention of like the politics of climate change or denial or of development or anything like that. And I, I like that. That was that was 
kind of refreshing because I've seen some other kind of, you know, ecologically oriented or themed writings that, you know, really get into that. And it starts to become kind of, I don't know, monotonous in some ways. So I, I like that, that it was very, it seemed very personal and individual. And like you said, there are a lot of them are like prose poems, or I, I like that phrase. They're, they're like, you know, memoir and poetry. And with these lines that are like, you know, prose sentences in, in some ways. And I, I did note that a lot of these were previously published elsewhere. So I also I also wondered if you, you know, if you if you kind of realized in hindsight that they kind of, you know, cohered as a whole, you know, thematically, or if you had this idea like that these these all came from the same place, you know, and that you you always kind of maybe intended to assemble them and into into a project like this. This is the first book. That's a great observation. This is the first book I wrote that was designed as a whole piece. So I see it as one poem or one piece. I didn't do sort of one-offs. And then, you know, how poets were always like, oh, I could make a collection, but I need four. Uh. This was a book. It was always a book. And I'm really proud of that. Like, I think it's a super cohesive project. So the way I organize space and the seasons and time and the way that I organized the book just logistically. And then after I had it together, then I sent the pieces out for publication. So the book idea came before the individual pieces. So you're almost kind of testing them out in, in other publications or, I mean, I don't, did you revise any of them before they, you know, achieved their, you know, final form in here? You know, it's so funny you ask that because I am like an endless reviser. I'm of that school. It's all a draft until you die. I have revised published work, but in this book, like these pieces I'm really proud of these pieces. Like they came whole. I was so isolated and a lot of time to work. And I did not make changes after they were in the book and then out in the journals. I think they're pretty much the same. Wow. Okay. So you're kind of like Tennessee Williams. I think uh, he had a similar philosophy like that, you know, like stories he'd published 40 years before. He's like, but it's not done yet. You know, I'd love to be more like Tennessee Williams. <laughs> I got you. Um, and and from the start, this this is a theme that is evoked, you know, right as a get go. You know, as storm season opens is the name of the very first poem, and uh, the state's vulnerability to water and the after effects of of you know water's prevalence. You know, is is a you know often hit on theme, especially in that first part. And as someone who has experience with and fears water intrusion, like almost more than anything else, I, I really related to that. Uh, you know, poems like Sinking and Flash Flood and Rain, Evacuation, Cathedral, After the Storm, uh, High Tide, even in the titles, you know, the, these uh, these concepts are, um, are invoked. And uh, they all depict storm and water-related imagery, uh, you know, mold, displaced animals, flooded yards, driveways, houses, flesh-eating pathogens. I mean, I imagine this was intentional to sort of set a tone of sorts for the reader right away. And But did, did you maybe like intend that to be understood as a balance to, in part three, the sort of off-season poems that seem to take place during the winter or after hurricane season ends? Or will you actually call it storm season? You know, it's like not like the carefully delineated uh, months in which we, uh, you know, commonly sort of define storm season in Florida. It's a dramatic opening, right? Yeah, it's a dramatic yeah. opening. So flood zone here operates as a controlling metaphor for all the pieces in the book. 
the flood zone is such an important calculus, as you just said, for anybody who owns property on the peninsula or near the coast or an island, anywhere in the world, not just Florida, or anyone who drives a car, like you have to take into account water. There's a lot of drama when you live in a flood zone. It's not good for sleeping, but it's very good for raining. So the metaphor is especially present in part two. So the flood zone is also that psychological state that comes from living through trauma, the feeling of having a part of self that's always underwater or under threat. And how do we live in relationship to sunken parts of self? I'm really interested in that in this project. And I open out those pieces in the middle section. And then in the final section, like you just said, Chris, off season, I'm documenting all those moments and I walk around my neighborhood and I think I'm kind of annoyed and this is not a hit on the Midwest, all due respect, but people say there's no seasons here. And there's that license plate joke. Have you heard this? Like we know that it's fall because the license plates start changing color. Yeah. There's some truth to that, I guess. People come down and it's all the new states, but there's so many subtle changes month by month and so many dramatic changes month by month. But you have to actually leave your house and go outside and look around at the natural world, which includes people. And that's all really important to me. So it's a sacred paying attention, mapping the world, documenting what I see from my little postage stamp and that's what the project is. It's field notes, literally, just like I'm going out in the field and I'm noting what I see. Yeah, I once heard a saying that there's more people from Ohio in Florida than there are in Ohio. Someone said that to me once. So, hey, no offense taken. I, I completely agree with you. And, and yeah, I, I completely agree with you as well about the, the subtlety of the changes in the season. Now, again, in this book, it seems like it's set up as a very strict dichotomy between the dry season, the wet season. And and then you're right. I didn't mean to overlook the more introspective poems about your family, you know, in, in, in the middle. Um, the inter- an interesting kind of bifurcating device, though, too, for, for both of those, which um, I really like. Um, I had a question, too. Were these were these poems about this seasonal shift you kind of alluded to to the pandemic and and when the most of these were composed but i wondered if it was based on or or inspired by a specific year i mean i i noted that you made a lot of references to the aftermath of hurricane michael which happened in 2018 so i didn't know i was i remember some of the specifics in in the book about the evacuations and everything and i'm like oh, i wonder what year this is you know and and everything so i mean not that you know that's just something i was doing sort of absently but i i wondered were these were, were some of these based on an actual storm that you evacuated for? Sure. I mean, living in St. Pete, I've evacuated for so many storms. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm still not recovered from Irma, um, <laughs> Michael. And then what I don't think people understand, like I talked to my family in Michigan and they're like, oh, but it's just, a, it's a cat three. So you're good. It's like, that's not like a rating. I think that you're quite coming to grips with like, a tropical storm, a zero on the wind scale can be more devastating because it's slower and wetter. So again, that sort of like doing the calculus of damage and thinking about what it is to live in a flood zone. So yes, Irma and Michael for sure, but so many storms, the unnamed storm, the no-name storms that come in those other spaces that don't make the news, mm-hmm. like that kind of awful did people die then we're good and it's like you don't understand the damage you don't understand what's going so to answer your question all the storms all the storms 
Hey, I saw the part. I saw footage of the parking lot at the Don Cesar flooding just from a summer storm. So I completely get what you're saying. Like, it doesn't have to be named to uh, do that. And you live on Treasure Island, it seemed like, to judge from the book. It seemed like uh, you live there. So you're right there. I mean, that's. uh, These coastal cities all over the world are so incredibly vulnerable. And I kind of get my back up. When my friends up north say, why do people live here? And I think that we had talked about that briefly before. Why do people live here? Well, our families, our lives, our work, we live here. Um, that sort of glib comment, like, why don't you just move? We all know insurance doesn't pay you to rebuild elsewhere. It pays you to rebuild where you are. So super complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's funny during Irma, I have memories of that, but we got spooked and left the night before it came. And that was it was the opposite. Our families up north were completely getting in our ear, like, leave, get out, get out. And, and we're like, you know, you're not helping. Just stop. You know, we're going to do this. And so it was sort of the opposite. You know, like everyone was kind of like we were going to stay and we're like, all right, we're just going to ride this out like I've done through like a dozen of these things. And then it was. Yeah, I was just like, let's go, let's go. We just bugged out and went to my sister's in North Carolina. So, right. So, yeah, people are telling you to leave. Well, okay, you have gas, and then there's no hotels in Alabama or Georgia. So, like, leaving is very complex. It can be more dangerous. So, yes. Mm-hmm. And the poem, the poem specifically titled, But Why Do We Live Here? Really brief poem. And uh, you sort of alluded to this before like i get i mean i think most self-aware floridians ask themselves this i get asked it quite a bit you're you're right though i mean you know my daughter has been born and raised here she loves it here you know this is her home this is what she knows her friends are all here our friends are here you know there's all these factors that go into just living your life that you know and of course if you go somewhere else you're going to have you know there's it's going to have its own problems its own issues i mean they may not be as overt or explicit or as you know even politically like you know front page news type stuff but they'll they'll exist you know too so i don't know it's like do you think this is a common dilemma for a lot of residents though like you know i get annoyed about that because it is something i've considered from time to time you know like you know is this really the most stable place to live but yeah it it um or do most people in your experience kind of avoid confronting this question explicitly i mean it seemed like this book was sort of a way of working some of that out or or expressing it oh i really like that and i appreciate that that observation a lot chris there's sort of a luxury implied in this idea that you can just choose where to live like just move it's not like what why do you live there it's like well maybe those choices aren't quite as available as, as, as we would want them to be. Mm-hmm. I was super traumatized by Irma. And in the aftermath, when I went back, I walked around like a reporter with my little microphone and I asked everybody, why do we live here? Why do we live here? But without judgment, with a, a truly curious, everybody lives in a hazardous zone. Increasingly it's all zones, right? We're, we're all in a hazardous zone. So if you're lucky to live in a safer or seemingly safer zone, maybe it's harder to understand how difficult it can be to move. I'm not interested in why we stay as much as I'm interested in documenting how we stay. Oh, I gotcha. That's nicely put. I, I, <laughs> I like that you stated that. So it's hard to ask. I know you. it's hard to ask you to kind of choose favorites among your own work, you know, and and I certainly have mine. I loved the the uh, 
most of the first part, just all of that imagery. I, I mean, as any listener of this podcast will know, I love storm stories. I like that sort of imagery, even as much as I have a dread of even afternoon thunderstorms. Um, <laughs> I put earplugs in and put on like smooth jazz music. I suppose like that. And in Flash Flood, I remember that like you were like listening to Gregorian chants <laughs> in the bathtub. I was like, I can relate to that on some level. So, um, and um, and and I really liked uh, Still Life, Bluntstown Gas Station in part three. It was sort of like a, a little dialogue. I and and you know, living in Tallahassee, I know where all of those places are along the coast. But I mean, what were some of the poems here that were particularly memorable to you, either in their composition or how they turned out in their finished form or their source of inspiration? Um, thank you for those kind words about those poems. I love it that you know this landscape well. So I'm not trying to dodge the question. That's fine. <laughs> I really did think of this book as a piece. And the pieces are chapters. Of all my books, I think it's the most structurally solid. So using the seasons and time as my organizing principles, I love how it all works together. I love the dialogues interspersed with the lyric pieces. I love that they kind of evade genre. Are they prose, poems, or micro lyric essays. I like all that a lot. And I want people to read it like a novel or a memoir, which it is. It's like all of a piece. They're chapters. So I can't really pull one out. I can't nominate like best in show. So I think they all work, well, they're meant to all work together. And hopefully if you took one out, it would be like Jenga. It wouldn't, it would all fall apart. So I hope I'm not avoiding the question, but I'm just really proud of the structure and of the way it works. Like, whole cloth. I have not had that happen before. I have 12 books and this is the only one where I feel like, oh, it's structured. It's all of a piece. All of a piece. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. I gotcha. Okay. That, that, that's that's fine. I, and you know what? It, it's strange because rereading this, it was like, I, I, you know, I remembered that there were certain turns of phrase or passages or things like that, that, you know, really appealed to me, but it was like they were spread out over a lot of the poems. Like they weren't like, you know, I mentioned a couple that like really struck me, but yeah, I mean, it was like, it's, it's the themes, the, you know, the imagery are sort of pervasive throughout. So it's, it's, I, I completely get what you're saying. Um, and finally, so to speak, the cover art here, I, I really, I didn't really, you know, ask this in the notes that I sent to you or, or, or talk about this. Um, but, you know, this helpless looking figure adrift with oars floating away, you know, to what degree is it like speak to the theme of the book? But I mean, also, I mean, is there is there an emotional tenor that that's supposed to represent or, or is it like, you know, maybe to represent the speaker in some way? Yes. I love this artist. Judith Schechter is a stained glass artist. And I write a lot about religion. And yeah, it's actually a piece of stained glass. It's a photograph. The designers at BOA were just absolutely amazing. Uh, Sandy Knight designed it and Peter Connor supported the choice of this cover. They were just such a great publisher. I am the girl in her work. She uses this figure a lot in her stained glass. And I don't think this girl has given up. She's in this boat. She's on high seas. There's no land in sight, clearly. But like the speaker or the narrator or me in the book, she hasn't given up. She's in despair. She's not taking a nice little nap, obviously. But Chris, I think the oars have been taken from her by the sea. I don't think you would just wear a dress in a rowboat and give up your oars. 
by choice. Like no girl would do that. I think this is our inability as humans to care for our own home. There is nowhere to row to. I don't even know if she knows how dire the situation is. Uh, she's far, far, far from shore. The cathedral poems are at the heart of this collection and the stained glass showing up on the cover just makes me, makes me really, really happy. That is incredible. I didn't realize it was stained glass. I mean, I don't know if the detail is on the back or in here and I just missed it, but uh, yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's for a, for a piece of stained glass. Yeah. I'm, uh, no, I just think it's like the best cover ever. And, and like you're saying, I mean, with, with the evocations of like Catholicism, you know, and, and within the, uh, some of the poems, you know, it, it, it does kind of seem apropos in that way. So uh, now, finally, this is the other <laughs> final question. I mean, to what degree do you think these are subjects that you'll return to, you know, in your work or that they'll be, you know, as you said, like this was meant to be kind of a coherent statement, you know, about about these themes. But do you think that these kind of anxieties are things that are maybe even obliquely be expressed in your work and we can see it in, in your other poems as well? Yeah, it's, you ask great questions and great observations. So my first book of short stories was titled Georgia Underwater. So I feel like it's all one body of work. All of my books are related to all of my other projects. Everything I write about is a love letter for Florida and childhood and loss and a lament for those same three things. Um, yeah, I'm just getting started. <laughs> it's all the same. I gotcha. And this is, this is another sort of off script question, but based on all that, what is your feeling about Florida's future in general? I mean, are you optimistic, fearful? I mean, that, that's something I get sort of asked a lot as well. So I, I, it made me wonder what, what you might think as a native. Right. Um, I, I, it's such an important part of my identity and my work. But rather than speak about like such an important question, I, I'd rather write about it. It's, gonna, it's so complex. It'll come out in the writing. Hey, fair enough. Okay. So... Before we say farewell, what else is going on with you? What work do you have forthcoming as we were talking about off camera? Our semester's just started. So, you know, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so my latest book is called How to Write Poems, How to Make Poems, Form and Technique. So it's just out. Um, I'm really proud of it. I love teaching the intro to poetry and People are scared of poetry. I think one of my superpowers is helping people make friends with poems and they really do enrich our lives and help us with skills of concentration and empathy. So I love doing that. And I'm teaching a workshop in Tampa, um, not related to the university, but for people in the community. It's called Reflection, Summary, and Structure. It's not focused on any one genre. It's from November 2nd to November 5th here in Tampa. There's two spots left. So if anyone's interested, I'm open to taking in new students and I'll still be writing prose and poetry as, as the semester unrolls. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's a labor of love. That's something you would do anyway, regardless of your <laughs> other, uh, other endeavors. All right. Well, Heather Sellers, you are now a member of the Florida Book Club. Thank you so much for having me. This was truly delightful. Thank you so much for your questions. 
Thank you for attending this meeting of the Florida Book Club. If you are along the Gulf Coast of Florida, I hope you prepared well and are staying safe. And maybe the poems in Heather's book might provide solace in these days to come, if only for the solace of shared trauma as we reflect on the aftermath of yet another major storm. Those questions, why do we live here chief among them, persist. There are links to purchase field notes from the Flood Zone on our website with this episode. Remember to support your local independent bookstores and public libraries. See you at our next meeting.